This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. You know, sometimes when we start the show, we're not quite sure how it's going to evolve. I know that's going to be a big surprise to a lot of you. Not. But the fact is, we sometimes have people lined up to talk to, and we're not sure that we're going to reach them before the hour is over. So I'm not going to say anything else except that um, there may be some surprises. But no matter what, we're going to have some fun, eh? So let us, without further ado, start this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date in question being the 20th of May. It was on May 20th in 1498... On the Malabar coast of India at Calicut, the Portuguese explorer Vasco da Gama became the first European to reach India via the Atlantic and Indian Oceans. This was the culmination of uh, events started by the illustrious Portuguese prince Henry the Navigator, who believed correctly that it would someday be possible to sail to the rich ports of Asia by going around Africa. And eight years later, on this same date, May 20th, 1506, Christopher Columbus, the great Italian explorer, died without ever realizing the extent of his achievements. His serendipitous discovery of the New World would help make Spain the wealthiest, most powerful nation on Earth. It should be noted that while the Portuguese were working on their plan to sail around Africa to India, Columbus had the bright idea of sailing due west. He believed the Earth was only 18,000 miles in circumference and it would be an easy voyage. But of course, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Trying to find the Spice Islands of Indonesia, Columbus instead discovered the Bahamas. And I cannot help but add to this story of da Gama and Columbus that when Columbus went to the King of Portugal with this harebrained idea of sailing west, King Joao asked his geographers if he knew what he was talking about. They assured him... He did not. And while the king's geographers were right, Columbus discovered a whole new couple of continents, including the one we're broadcasting from now. And yes, I, I know when I say that the continent had been discovered tens of thousands of years earlier by people coming across the Bering Straits, but you know what I mean. Columbus's discovery linked the eastern and western hemispheres, at least in terms of regular travel. On this date in 1873, the American inventor Levi Strauss secured the necessary patents to make canvas pants with copper rivets. Ever after this, this popular line of pants would be simply known as Levi's. And it was on May 20th in 1956 that the U.S. dropped a hydrogen bomb over the Pacific Atoll of Bikini. This was the first airborne test of what's described as an improved hydrogen device. We're not sure what the relocated people of Bikini thought of the improvements. On this date in 1969, in the Vietnam War, U.S. and South Vietnamese troops captured Hill 937 after 10 bloody assaults. The spot had no strategic value and was abandoned soon afterwards. Which I guess in a way makes it a kind of metaphor for the entire Vietnam War, doesn't it? Aren't you glad we learned our lesson there and wouldn't repeat that sort of foolishness in some place like Iraq, where, of course, our forces are currently driving around and, and, well, I'm not sure why they're driving around. 
And as far as I can see, no one else is either. And finally, it was on this date, May 20th of 1996, that the U.S. Supreme Court, voting 6-3, to three, struck down an amendment to Colorado's state constitution that would have prevented any city, town, or county in the state from making any legislative, executive, or ju- judicial action to protect the rights of homosexuals. In a ruling authored by Associate Justice Anthony Kennedy, the Supreme Court struck down Amendment 2, arguing that it violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. It was applauded as a major civil rights victory that gave gay and lesbian activists their first major constitutional precedence for fighting anti-gay legislation. While we've not necessarily been a big fan of Justice Anthony Kennedy on this program, it looks as though he got that one right. And by the way, when I say things like that, I would note that the opinions that you hear on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. And certainly not of my friend Nancy, who is a cousin of Anthony Kennedy. Our quote of the day comes from scientist William Menninger, who said, The amount of satisfaction you get from life depends largely on your own ingenuity, self-sufficiency, and resourcefulness. People who wait around for life to supply their satisfaction usually find boredom instead. Our quip of the day comes from the legendary journalist Eric Severide, who said, The biggest big business in America is not steel, automobiles, or television. It is the manufacture, refinement, and distribution of anxiety. Our bonus quip of the day comes from Albert Einstein, who said, If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Our joke of the day comes from Jimmy Kimmel, who noted a few weeks back, Governor Rick Perry of Texas shot a coyote while he was jogging. Who carries a gun while jogging? I can barely manage an iPod. You know, we got to look that up. You know, Rick Perry's being groomed by certain idiot powers that be to uh, become the next president. And I've got a lot of questions. Why would you shoot a coyote while you were jogging? When I was in medical school down at UC Irvine many years ago, there were lots of coyotes in the the hills around the campus. Remember, as one was distracted, moving near the Raley's across the street from, uh, from the university, I managed to sneak up behind him. When he finally heard me, he looked around very surprised and ran away, but it was, was kind of cool. Now, now, I guess if I was Rick Perry, I'd have shot him. But then, maybe Governor Rick Perry is trying to overcompensate. Maybe his masculinity has been questioned. I don't know, I'm just speculating. Kind of like the friend of mine who, you know, waves her pinky finger when she sees a guy driving by in a Hummer. And, and no, I'm not going to explain that one any further. But uh, let's do some stats. We've got a backlog of stats of the day. Let's go through a few of these. The Internal Revenue Service audited just one in four tax returns of large U.S. corporations in 2009. That's a lower rate than in the previous 20 years. Apparently the IRS is focusing instead on small and medium-sized businesses, though larger companies are likely to owe more in back taxes. Okay, if you think that one's dumb, how about this one? In the wake of the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, 54% of Americans still favor more offshore drilling, down from 63% in early February. You know, someone really needs to run the numbers on how much oil there is offshore. 
Especially those guys driving around in Hummers, you know what I mean? All right, stupid stat number three. Since leaving her $125,000 a year job as Alaska's governor last July, Sarah Palin has raked in $12 million in book royalties, speaking fees, and payments from two TV shows. All right, according to the Wall Street Journal, one every five American men aged 25 to 54 does not hold a job. Economists say most of the jobs these men once held are never coming back. I think about that when I tried to reach some uh, help for a problem I was having by, by making a phone call. I, I got the feeling I was talking to Lahore, or, or perhaps Calcutta. I don't know, maybe Hyderabad. Uh, but I feel pretty confident it wasn't somebody in Peoria or Des Moines. I mean, don't companies think that if nobody's working in America, they're not going to be able to buy the products they're making? But then I guess nobody's making anything, so I guess we're okay main thing we seem to be manufacturing in America is IOUs. And speaking of lousy services, I can't resist this slight detour into this item from New Scientist magazine. The letters to the editor ask the following. Does anybody really pay attention to the countless words of tiny type in a web service user agreement? It looks as if the designers of PayPal's website don't. A colleague dutifully read through PayPal's legalese when trying to sign up for the service, only to find that it had taken him so long to read the 2,000-word agreement that the site had logged him out for inactivity. Anyway, final statistic. In a survey of 22 countries, 20% of respondents said they believe aliens walk among us disguised as earthlings. According to Reuters Ipsos, the Chinese and Indians are the most likely to believe aliens lurk in our midst, while Belgians, Swedes, and the Dutch are the least likely. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Apparently, it was a good week last week for Goldman Sachs, at least their trading operation. It made money on each of the first quarter's 63 business days, which makes it the first time in Goldman's 141-year history that the firm has gone an entire quarter without a single money-losing day. Of course, Goldman Sachs has done such a wonderful job for the economy that we certainly wish them the best, eh? But when we're done here in a minute, we'll have to return to the This Modern World Tom Tomorrow cartoon of last week, which speculated on how things would be if more businesses operated like Goldman Sachs. But lest I digress, let me note that it was a bad week last week for being safe rather than sorry. After a bomb squad in Lake Mary, Florida detonated a suspicious cardboard box found outside a church then discovered it contained $2,500 in cash. Authorities said they would replace the money, which apparently was meant to be a donation to the church. Of course, how do you leave a cardboard box full of money <laughs> and label it properly? It was kind of, kind of an ugly week last week for the Episcopal Church when it was noted that a Massachusetts church, the Calvary Episcopal Church, is launching a religious service for dogs. The Reverend Thea Keith Lucas says the monthly service will help parishioners, quote, who have a rich spiritual life 
as pet owners, share their experience of God with their canine companions. The Reverend Keith Lucas noted that barking and whining will be allowed during the services, saying, we want dogs to be dogs. And I believe, Mr. Merlin, you do have a, a recording of their last Christmas service, don't you? Let's go back to the This Modern World Goldman Sachs. If more businesses operated like Goldman Sachs. Two men in the first panel with some strange object. Guy says, here's the prototype of our new product, sir. What does it do? Second panel. Well, nobody really knows, sir. It's too complicated to understand. As far as we can tell, serves no useful purpose whatsoever. Third panel. Oh, and there's a chance it will explode once the consumer gets it home. Well, maybe more than a chance. Actually, it was designed by a munitions expert. Fourth panel. But not to worry, we're covered. Unbeknownst to the consumer, we'll be taking out a life insurance policy and everyone who buys one of these bad boys. Boss goes, so we're going to convince our loyal customers to purchase a useless product that will probably blow up in their faces and then profit further when it does? That, that pretty much sums it up, sir. The only word for that is... Fabulous! Let's get into production immediately! Final panel <laughs> shows the young guy three years later. Why no, Senator? It never occurred to me that the devices would actually explode. We have to get uh, Dan Perkins on the show, Tom, tomorrow. I mean, the guy in six panels <laughs> manages to uh, summarize it perfectly. And you know, we're still mourning the loss of Radar Magazine, but apparently RadarOnline.com is still around. They noted last week that a former high-ranking member of the Church of Scientology has accused the leader of the church, David Miscavige, of secretly videotaping confessionals featuring Tom Cruise, then playing him for his friends. Marty Rathburn says he was ordered by Miscavige to film Cruise during the auditing sessions he underwent in 2001 after his split with Nicole Kidman. Rathburn says Miscavige then played the videos in his personal lounge for friends while sipping scotch and joking about the content of Tom's confessionals. The church, for its part, has denied any wrongdoing. Apparently down in Phoenix, a nun, an administrator of a Catholic hospital in Phoenix, has been reassigned and rebuked by the local bishop for agreeing that a severely ill woman needed an abortion to survive. The Arizona Republic reported that Sister Margaret McBride was on an ethics committee that included doctors that consulted with the young woman, who was 11 weeks pregnant late last year. The woman was suffering from a life-threatening condition that would likely have caused her death if she hadn't had the abortion at St. Joseph's Hospital. Hospital officials defended her actions, but confirmed that McBride had been reassigned from her job as Vice President of Mission Integration. The Catholic Church, advancing into the 11th century. Speaking of Arizona, I know one of the late-night comedy wags said that uh, on uh, May, May 19th, Arizona got its first... Mexican bishop, who unfortunately was deported the next day. Anyway, want to comment on an item I noticed from the Sacramento Bee's reading rack. Suggested readings from their editorial staff. 
Someone cited Fat Nation by Mark Ambender, actually an article from The Atlantic, May issue, which noted that until 1980, obesity rates in this country were stable. In a mere 20 years, they doubled. Americans now consume 2,700 calories a day, 500 more than 40 years ago. More than two-thirds of adults are overweight, and the costs of this, of course, are enormous. Obese people spend 42% more on medical care than healthy weight Americans. I was pondering this little bit when I was filling up with gas the other day, noting that every gas station in America is now a quickie mart. When I walked into one to buy my usual 12-ounce Coke, I noticed they'd all been replaced. You had to buy 20 ounces of Coca-Cola now. Now, granted that I probably shouldn't be drinking a soft drink anyway, but if you choose to do it, you should have the option of being able to select a smaller portion. And how about this item from Reuters? Article by Julie Steenhuisen. Apparently, eating bacon, sausage, hot dogs, and other processed meats can raise the risk of heart disease and diabetes, U.S. researchers said Monday. This is based on a study of what you find at the meat counter. Eating unprocessed beef, pork, or lamb appears not to raise risks of heart attack and diabetes, researchers said, suggesting that salt and chemical preservatives may be the real cause of these two health problems associated with eating meat. The study was published in the journal Circulation, conducted by Renata Micha of the Harvard School of Public Health, who said processed meats such as bacon, salami, sausages, hot dogs, and processed deli meats may be the most important to avoid. Based on her findings, she said people who eat one serving per week or less of the processed meats have less of a risk. Somewhat predictably, the American Meat Institute objected to the findings, saying it was only one study, and it stands in contrast to other studies and the U.S. Dietary Guidelines of Americans. Other studies, one suspects, which were funded by them. Speaking of that, you may have noticed Matt Weiser's uh, article in the Sacramento Bee. We need to bring Matt back on this program. He's doing some great reporting over there. But I noticed the headline, something we reported on this, this program about previously, Matt's written about it previously, that's how we knew about it, which was that there's terribly high levels of ammonia in the Sacramento River as it, as it leaves the metro area. The reason for this is that we only do secondary processing of sewage. If you fully process sewage, and that includes tertiary processing, the ammonia is removed. Well, nobody wanted to spend the money to do that, so we just put the ammonia from urine and feces into the Sacramento River. Now, Matt was citing a study which was indicating that perhaps the problem with the fish in the Delta has to do with the fact there's so much ammonia being sent south. I'd barely got past the headlines when my reaction was, I wonder who funded this study? The growers down in the San Joaquin Valley? Well, guess what? That's exactly who's trying to argue that, well, no, it's not the fact that we've taken the water out of the river, it's that the water's of lousier quality. Uh, wh what do you bet, folks, that it's a little of both? And then when it comes to fish, having no water is more important than having lousy water. Well, I'm just shooting from the hip on this one. And of course, as Mr. Merlin points out, the less water there is, the higher the concentrations of ammonia. Duh! All right, this is the part of the show where we like to hear from our pal and America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst. Hey, 
Hey guys, Will Durst here with a couple of observations on Obama's newest Supreme Court nominee, Elena Kagan. If confirmed, she'll be the fourth justice from New York City. Scalia from Queens, Sotomayor from the Bronx, Ginsburg from Brooklyn, and now Kagan from Manhattan. Don't you love diversity? I imagine someone on Obama's staff is compiling a short list of possible qualified nominees from Staten Island as we speak. As part of the recent trend, we don't know much about her. She's the current Solicitor General of the United States, which I guess means she's the country's top solicitor and a general. So we got that going for us. Kagan attended Princeton, Oxford, and Harvard, another crippling blow to state schools. She wrote her senior thesis on socialism in the early 20th century, which always sends up a red flag to conservatives who consider socialism contagious. Even though she just wrote about it, they suspect her of being a carrier, like Typhoid Elena or something. But she's never been a judge, and to say her paper trail is scant is like intimating that British Petroleum is unlikely to be named Sierra Club's Corporation of the Year award winner. She has taken blank slate to a whole new schoolhouse. And because of her vacuum track record-wise, her sexuality, or lack thereof, is starting to take center stage. The question, is she gay? And if so, who cares? Elliot Spitzer, who went to Harvard with her, said she went out on dates, but not with him. Because when it comes to sex, apparently Spitzer is our go-to guy. She is 50 and unmarried and played softball and wore flannel, which has most of middle America's gaydar tingling. Now, if evidence ever comes out that she attended an Indigo Girls concert, expect all hell to break loose. What's the old joke? I don't know if Elena Kagan is a lesbian, but her hair is. Some experts think the president wasted a pick on her, since she probably could get confirmed by a Republican-controlled Senate. Then again, maybe he's just trying to pack the court with women as a ploy to trap Clarence Thomas in a sexual harassment suit. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Thank you, Will. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.